to another Making Sense of It podcast with me, Emma Kenny. And of course, I'm Pete Smith. Different <laughs> names. <thinking> everywhere. <laughs> I know, yeah. For those of you listening on the podcast, we're also filming it. You can get us on YouTube. So you can look under Emma Kenny. I think it's Emma Kenny TV, isn't it? Emma Kenny TV on everything. You can absolutely tell that I don't do any of this and that my husband is in charge of it. I'm not growling, by the way. I've got a dog behind me if you uh, do hear some strange interference. So here we are, week four. Week four of our podcast. Yeah, no guests this week. No, no guests this week. We're not famous enough to get guests yet. No. The guests that we get are people that we're going to drag in off the street or that we know and have tenuous links to. Yeah. That's how it's going to work. Well, you know, we'll build it up. <laughs> Six years later. No, you've been on podcasts, and I think that they should, uh, you know... Return the favour, yes. yes. I'm sure that Russell Brand will be popping over any time to sit in our kitchen and do that. What's this space? <laughs> yeah. We'll know we've arrived in 33 years when that happens. Yeah. So, what's been going on this week? So, this is a bit of a weird one, because my mum had open-heart surgery only last Thursday, and it started to make me think about resilience, because when I was a kid... My mum was one of those classic 1980s mothers who believed that the only reason that you should be allowed to even think or consider missing school was if you were literally dying. That was her idea of what made good parenting. So I can remember on many occasions, not just one occasion, it wasn't like this happened and she thought, oh, probably left it a little bit too long to recognise her symptoms. You know, this happened every time pretty much me, my brother and my sister were ill. And what would occur is that you'd start getting really sick or like feeling really sick. You know how it is when you're a kid and you just have loads of 24-hour bugs. It's just like the 70s and 80s, you're just riddled with 24 Nobody washed the hands and shit, did they? It was just the way it was. I became quite uh, phobic. Throwing off. God, there's nothing worse. When I was... Oh, God, there is nothing worse. (laughs) There's nothing worse. You know what it is? It's that when you've got a 24-hour bug... I think everybody will be able to understand what I'm talking about. Not these youngsters. These youngsters have been brought up in a society where 24-hour bugs are almost a thing of the past. Yeah. Nowadays, that's what you hear about. Outbreaks of E. coli. E. coli was just well, something was... we took as normal in our childhoods, you know. It's Eating that... contaminated food was just an everyday thing. Of <laughs> course it was. That's what made us strong. That's why we all live to over 100 now. That's the way it is. raw chicken. Absolutely. A bit of raw chicken won't harm you. What used to get me about those 24-hour bugs was the build-up. Because it, like oh, it, was, it was like a build-up in a, in a, in a dance track. It's starting to be like... <laughs> Ooh, bit of a twinge in my stomach, and then it'd be like, oh no, it's that feeling, you know, and then it'd start building. If you were at school, you'd tell a teacher, oh, or if you were at home already, you know, for some reason, like that, and then the teacher would like ring your parents to come and get you, or your next door neighbour, or some random, as it happened to me a few times, you'd end up on someone else's couch going, oh, and this stomach ache could just build and build and build and build, and you'd be like, what is this? What is this? And then all of a sudden, oh. the crescendo. Co- goes right to the top and you just you know throw up things that have, you've never eaten you've never seen before well, you realize that. and it's like it's like something from an alien film yeah. and then stomach ache goes oh, and you think no. excellent this is it and then like and all here it comes again and it just builds up and you're like oh i'm trying to sleep and then and the second times there's nothing there left oh, no. So just like dry, like, dry, like, dry. It's, like, it's like parts of your stomach start to come out. They do. Know. <laughs> you know, you're like, I haven't like, eaten carrots like, or tomato. No, it's yeah, just stomach lining. Bit of a pencil, you know, stuff which is like you've chewed on years ago when you were a baby, you know. Paper that hasn't disappeared, it's been in there. Plastic. Absolutely horrendous, though, as well, because I can still remember those. But my mum used to give me whiskey. She used to say, whiskey's an antiseptic for the stomach. Just anybody listening who's listening to my mother at the moment sending me to school nearly dead and giving us large amounts of alcohol when we were sick. The only time my mum ever used to give me whiskey was when I'd stole it. <laughs> she used to measure the bottles. Terrible. Are you joking? No. She didn't give you whiskey, though. No, no. You can't say the only time my mother gave me whiskey was when I was <laughs> <Yeah>. stolen. <laughs> you know, in, in, in court... Excuse me, doggy. In court, you're not going to be able to go, you know. Why were you caught with Mr. Johnson's 27-inch plasma TV? Because it's 1997. He gave me it. He gave it me. He just gave it me. I took it, but he gave it me. It's a form of giving, isn't it? (laughs) Giving without knowing. If Mr. Johnson was more generous and thought about people like me, he'd be giving it. I love the uh, generic name, Mr. Johnson. You know, (laughs) you can't say Mr. Smith because actually... Well, that is because you are, exactly. Anyway, yeah, going well, back to my I original digress. part of this story, my mum was such a 
clear parent regarding whether you were ill or otherwise. And it went like this. You're not ill. That was it. <laughs> there was no diversion. It was, Mum, I'm feeling really sick, Mum. You'll be fine. Just go to school. You'll be fine in an hour. You'd be like, well, I feel really, really sick, Mum. We'll just have some toast. You'll be fine in an hour. And my dad was a sales rep his entire life. And as a sales rep, it meant that if you were working class, you still got a car, which was like massive. Do you remember when we were kids? Like having a car was not commonplace. Having two cars was unheard of. But having one car was still a pretty big deal. You know, my dad used to get a new car every two years as well. So it was that big a deal that I can still remember my father's number plates, you know, What's all the, the way What's the first through. car you ever remember your dad having? AEO 36. AEO 363. Oh my God. Really? Well, you remember uh, the number plate of your dad's yeah, first it was, car? Yeah, it was AEO 36 something. And then the next one was B913 PNA. D605JJA, F798LUS. Yeah, I just. Hang on, right. So, you uh, have you ever seen that guy that goes up with helicopters, looks at London, <laughs> and then draws it afterwards all perfectly? Are you one of them? <laughs> I just can't believe I can't remember the la- last bit of AEO3. AEO3, AEO3, no. 64B, I, I think it was. Anyway, it is as it I is. I love the fact that you can remember your dad's number plate. It's actually I can. just meant the car. Well, anyway, it was a Cortina, a beige Cortina. Brilliant. That was it. Mum was a My dad didn't really want the beige Cortina, but the blue one wasn't in, and he couldn't bother waiting, so he got the beige one. It was pretty crap colour. But I can remember that day, because I'd felt sick, he'd hung back from going to work, and he, tr- he, took me, he took me in the car with my little brother. So, I don't know, my brother was four years younger than me. I'm probably about latest seven, about eight or nine, so I was probably in the, you know, junior three, junior two, junior three. And I threw up all over his car, right? But to add insult to injury, I then got in trouble for throwing up all over his was car. It, was it the, sec- the first or the second throwing up session? It was just the first session. So it, it was, was the first like, throwing yeah. up. So I'd thrown up all over the car, then I got into absolute trouble because it had probably gone on my brother as well. And why did you do that? Why didn't I? was like, I've been telling you all morning that I was going to throw up. So then we get back, and every time, and my sister and brother will testify to this, my brother probably won't actually. He seems to have a different uh, outlook on, on, on history. Yeah, he does <laughs> have a different outlook of history than me and my sister, you're right. I think they've mellowed a little bit. But basically, I got back and then I, you had to go with me. The other thing we want to do is you'd be really ill. You should be like, right, you're staying in your bedroom all day. Now, anybody knows in the 80s, staying in your bedroom was just purgatory. You didn't have a TV, they didn't have an internet, we didn't exist, you know. You know, you probably didn't want to read books because you were a kid in that time who wants to read books. And the whole day, and it was always the same, and halfway through the day, she would give you a bowl of tomato soup. So now I don't really like having tomato soup. Did you have bread with it? Mm, she wouldn't always give me bread because that might make me sick. So it was <laughs> like one of those things. Like soup isn't going to make you sick. It'll oh, come out red. sweet, sick and disgusting. <laughs> anyway, so that was my story. So anyway, ironically, she's been in hospital. She went in on Wednesday. They rang her all of a sudden. Aortic stenosis. She had an aortic valve removed and replaced. And basically, it's open heart surgery. The full cutting through the rib cage, all of that stuff. Been told that she gets to stay in hospital around 10 days. Seven at the very earliest, 10 days is the expected thing, and she's going to be in intensive care for two days, and basically... Intensive what? Care, oh, it's like a care, is it an elocution lesson, is this Pygmalion? <laughs> no, you probably don't even know what that is, because you probably have never read Pygmalion, but never mind. Pygmalion, that's yeah. totally weird, I was actually thinking of Pygmalion yesterday. Were you? Yeah. So tell me who wrote it. Um, uh, um, C.S. Burton. <laughs> what was the... C.S. Lewis, What was C.S. the film? Burton. What was the film was... adaptation? Pygmalion, oh, I know this. Countdown? No, I'm just doing the countdown clocks. Oh, no. No, no. Please tell me. I was thinking countdown to murder. I thought it was a clue. Pygmalion, something, it's a famous film. God, is it? Is it a famous film? What what, what, what what was the famous film adaptation? Yeah, it is as well. It's a stage show, isn't it? It's, um... Oh, Pygmalion, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, let me think. I need a drink on this. Oh, it's my, my fair lady. Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered carrying on. That's the one. Yes, anyway. So, I don't even know how we went on to that subject. Let me finish the story. I oh, that was it. You were correcting me. So, but the rain in Spain. Spain falls mainly I on the plane. 
Say A. I. 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 So I'm so confident. I don't know how to speak though, right then. Anyway, enough of that yeah. detraction. So there she is. She goes in Wednesday afternoon. She has her operation. Thursday morning. Gets let out of intensive care less than 14 hours later, basically, because she's fine. Then the next day, so 24 hours after surgery, she's not only on the general ward again, she's sat up, she's got her makeup on, she's completely organised, everything going on around her. She's decided she's going home and she's getting let out. So, like, she's going to be in five days for major heart surgery. So the worst bit is... Unbelievable. ...that... Now, I feel like clearly I'm rubbish because she was simply living the world rules according to her experiences. No, just because when I was a kid and I was ill, clearly she was basing it on the assumptions that she had about herself, which is why she's so non-empathic with my dad. Like, literally, I can remember a time, this is a classic Kay Taylor. My mum's really lovely, by the way. There'll be quite a few references to my mum, because obviously, pretty much one of the most important people in my life. And we did have a bit of a strained and tenuous relationship for a period of time. But uh, we get on very, very well now. Thank you very much. Love you very much, mum. But anyway, going back to that story, she basically, when I was a kid at one point, sent me to Founders Day. Founders Day was like this big day where everyone celebrated whoever had made our school started to ruin my life, you know, the person responsible for that decision. And it was a big deal. We all had to sing and all the parents came and we went off to Bury locally where we went to the parish church and did shit. Anyway, this day I was so ill with my asthma. I was really, really, really sick. And when you were ill with your asthma when I was a kid, they didn't have the same treatments, you know what I mean? You kind of just had your blue preventative spray and maybe a brown steroid spray but it wasn't that great so my we're, asthma we're the same age by the way so when you were a kid i was a kid too. i know but people oh, were, right. <laughs> you're losing sight well, of it this kid. isn't just a conversation between you and i pete there are other people there's like at least five other people <laughs> who are going to listen to this maybe if we get our family to listen to it there'll be 11 so because yeah. obviously all of our family wouldn't do it so you know just it is remember. a challenge and this challenge is accepted this is exactly it anyway so remember i keep digressing and you have god anyway i went into school this day fully collapsed fully collapsed by the time they got me to hospital proper touch and go told my mum that nearly cost me my life did it change her no didn't change her habits and that's what i was coming on to about how her she's got no sympathy her entire life but i think it's probably good i think it's probably good for us because I am quite resilient, I'm one of those people who's quite resilient. I do kind of think everything will be all right in the end. That is my favourite saying. Everything will be all right in the end, and if it isn't all right, it's then it is end. in the end. Thank you. So, my dad wants... Some people say that John Lennon penned that, which he didn't, because it was you. I didn't pen it. I don't think John Lennon penned it. No, it was someone before him, wasn't it? I don't think Socrates or Plato penned it. I just think it's something that lots of people have said in their lives. I don't really think that anyone can take... Gen- even with great quotes, apart from people like Martin Luther King. Yeah. But again, a lot of people had said I had a dream and just saying. Well, most people. Mm. So he, even his yeah. speech was. They always end up finishing with last night. But I, yeah, I always say literally. <laughs> literally, literally, had a dream. Yeah. But I say literally all the time. I just say you know what I mean. Obviously, it's ridiculous because I'm saying it and it's obviously yeah. literal. But oh, it's yeah. just one of those things. I went through a period of saying, you know what I mean, after everything I said. You know what I mean? And you should do that now. I ended up singing it. You know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'd say, well, people do know what I mean. Cause, I know. Because yeah. they're listening to what you yeah, mean. It's weird, isn't it? No, anyway. So my dad once had a really serious accident and he fell. He was on the garage roof. And my dad goes at 100 miles per hour anyway. And he was on the garage roof. And then he fell off the garage roof. And as he fell off the garage roof, his trouser leg got caught on the ladder that it had propped up. So it got caught in his trousers. So as he went... It's not going to go away. No, it's not, is it? It's not. What? No, it's nothing to do with his penis. All right. (laughs) I know that... (laughs) A lot of people out there listening have been like waiting for them. So it connected with his pants and got like kind of into them like that. So his body kind of catapulted backwards oh, right. and his head smacked on the ladders 
and then he fell on the floor and he cracked his head open as well, yeah? So he did his knee in really badly and he's bleeding really heavily from his wound in his head. And he went and knocked on the door. It was the back door, so it must have been closed at the time. And mum came and she looked at him and she went, oh my God. She said, you're going to have to go to hospital. And he went, I'm not going to hospital. And she just went fine and slammed the door in his face. <laughs> and that was it, because he we wouldn't go to hospital. Said, no, my God, are you okay? Let's look at you. She slammed the door in his face, fine. That was it. We have to put it out there, though, that Emma's dad is absolutely one of the best humans. He'd fractured his planet. knee. He'd fractured his knee. But he is like Frank Spencer, isn't he? <laughs> he is a real-life Frank Spencer. But he's no, that, brilliant. I mean, but he always. Well, you like, say he's, he's a real life Frank Spencer. He doesn't. He's not an idiot. No, well, Frank Spencer wasn't an idiot. Well, I mean, he was, he was a bit of an idiot. Oh, get out of it. He, he was done really well. He was Condor Man. He went up on the stage. He was. <laughs> how can you say that Frank Spencer? <laughs> but seriously. But he, he, does, get, he does. He does have little accidents. Very he bangs his thumb and is it, you know falls over and mm. doing jobs. Always when he's doing jobs though. He's always doing jobs though. Oh, yeah, he's really he's brilliant man. Yeah. But yeah, I totally get what you're saying about your mum. But then again... I think you've got a bit of that in you. Critical. No, the... Not like... If you're not dying, you... Yeah, I know I have. Yeah. I know, but then that's why my kids go for injections or for operations and they don't bite an eyelid, they're just like, whatever. They think it's funny. They know that pain is just whatever. Like when they were to inject Tide loads with vitamin B, you know, when they had that for his bloods. You just did it, don't you? just do it. They were horrible needles as well. They were horrible needles. They were the best needles, yeah. But the other thing is, my dad called me this morning because obviously we looked after them and paid for a hotel for him to stay near the hospital so that we could all kind of come and go. And he's not had my mum now since Thursday. So we're on, well, Wednesday really, Wednesday night. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And in those four nights, he stayed at the hotel without my mum. Now he loves my mum to pieces. They've been married for 52 years and they have a good marriage. But my mum has high expectations in life. And a lot of the time, those expectations only extend to my father. Not necessarily to her, but to my father. So he does a lot of stuff for me and for everybody else and for my mum. And yet you do get the sentiment sometimes from my mother that nothing is quite enough <laughs> to the degree where she has to point that out on many occasions. And she's lovely and she's loving, but... I'm like that with Pete, we have critical relationships, so we have to work on our relationship because of that. So, long story short, my dad called me this morning and he was just like, I have had the best four days. Like, and he Brilliant. hasn't connected that the reason that he's had the best four days is because of Matt's <laughs> in an hospital. It's just like, I've had the best four days, I've had a really hot bath this morning, just to watch some TV, and basically what he's saying is, I've had no responsibilities for four days, and it's just been delicious, you know? And I just listened to him, he ran with and said, oh, I just want to say thank you for looking after me, I'm thinking. I know exactly what you mean, do you know what I mean? That's brilliant. I know! Well, no school runs, no... Nothing. nothing. You know, it's, it's been... Bliss. It's, nice for him. it's bliss. It sounds like he needs to build himself a, a man cave at home. Just to say, I did actually pre-starting this recording suggest to my lovely husband with a phone sorted. He's now phone. showing it. It's my old phone. So he's blaming me. Anyway, so yeah, on a health level, I definitely have interpreted and inherited that kind of belief system from my mum. It's not bad. It's good. It, well, you know, you know, it's not if you nearly kill your kids over it, but whatever. Yeah, well. <laughs> so what's been your talking point for the week? Mine has been family orientated, as you know. My talking point? Heart surgery. Well, obviously it's part of my talking point, isn't it? But I'm going to completely go off. off, off so right, it's your talking point. Yeah, oh, you can a do. different sort of angle here, because it, it's, it's, and I'm 43 years old, but it's, you know. You're we, so much we do, older we than do, me, You know, we do this sort of YouTube stuff and we're getting into it. And the big thing that I've uh, we got into little kids as well, which you'll know fine well that are watching was the the Joe Weller and KSI oh. fight that was on on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, your friend the True Geordie was uh, commentating. Um, I just it, it was I just it, I don't know it was just quite quite amazing to watch really that this the broken the records. most viewed white collar boxing that there's ever yeah, been. Yeah. Yeah. Got to give it to them both. Yeah, give it. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've got the balls to do it, but you know, it's. Um, I wanted a different outcome, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, we all wanted Joe to win. Um, he seems 
seems like a bit more of a grounded young man, you know. The thing about Joe Weller, irrespective of the fact he's got far less followers than KSI. Still got a lot. But he's got far less. Yeah. Well, Joe Weller used to, uh, used to look up to KSI. Mm. And, well, want, and, and, and sort of emulated and beat like he said that, that, was, that was his sort of aspiration to, you know, and then it became his KSI. He's just, I don't know, he's turned quite, I don't know whether it's nasty or it's persona or what. Can't really tell. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's not what, I don't like it. The thing is about Joe Weller, though, well, you've got to give it to KSI as well. I mean, like oh, he's got absolutely. an amazing brand and he's created that. Yeah, and that's yeah. One of the... it's not, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of No, of I'm that. not. Um, just, just the way that sort of works out for me. It doesn't, no. I'm not a fan of it, but respect to the guy. Yeah. He's got balls to do what he doesn't. But also the, the He's built a brand. He's built it from, like, I don't know how old he was. I think it started in 2011. I yeah. But, yeah, fantastic. But I just think I like the way that Joe Weller's comedy is and the way he is. That's the key. So that's... The key is that Joe Weller is one of those people that you could put on TV presenting and yeah, he'd fly. I agree. Whereas KSI just couldn't do it. No. He's just not got the humour, he's not got the wit, yeah, he's not quick yeah, enough. I think that's what it is. I think the humour side of things, I saw a video the other day that Joe did uh, when he was away in Mauritius or somewhere and he was with the fish and I just, just laugh out loud. Oh, it's hilarious. Have you seen it? No. He, just, he, gets in, he puts a thing on his head and goes under the water to walk. It's called water underwater walking, but then he feeds the fish and he's just, it's funny. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's his accent or what, but he, he's, he's, he's a... Oh, he's brilliant with his intonations and yeah, his speech. You know, just so, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just, I prefer that type of person to that, um, to know, it's like not so much look at me, how good am I, but it is, if you know what I mean. I, just, I, 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 just, I think the thing about KSI is he's just very average. But that's the beauty of YouTube. YouTube is such a democratic area that people can choose who they like. And also the fact is that the longer you've been on it, the more people you've probably had the chance to cultivate. Yeah. But I think people like Joe Weller, they just have an existence that will last forever. He is just one of those characters that even when he's 50, yeah. he'll be getting away with YouTube. Well, he's, he's already started uh, interviewing. Yeah, it's people. brilliant. He interviewed John Cena, yeah. you know, the, the, the American oh, yes. wrestler. You yeah. know, it was his hero from when he was a kid. Well, people don't realise, I don't know if anybody my age uh, will be like oh, well we're introduced to the kids aren't well, yeah, we yeah yeah you know um obviously we've 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 been doing youtube and looking at all that for, for a long time with various things but yeah you see the youtubers that have been doing it for an at this certain age <clears throat> i do i do think it's it's nice it would be nice to see a lot more not just you get a lot of youtubers coming in but they're doing vlogs about like beauty products yeah you know but men men doing it and women doing that but at a certain age and they get they get older I don't, I don't, I haven't really researched it, but is there many over 40 sort of YouTubers that are doing sort of similar stuff to the young one, looking at sort of a different way of life, you no. know, and cultures and, you know, I don't know, but it'd be interesting to find out that. Yeah, I don't know. You I know, just think it's you... like as well that fight the other night, when it was broadcast live, it's, I don't know if it was misogynistic, it's not, but, but not, it was accidentally misogynistic, there was not many, they were showing all these different YouTubers, it was all lads. It's like they've invited all the lads there. Mm. I think part of that as well, though, is that women don't necessarily like seeing... I'm, I'm just going to well, say... Well, there was loads of girls there, so there was a girlfriends and stuff, but there was a lot of... Yeah. There weren't YouTubers, there weren't showing them and going, that's so-and-so, that's so It was all lads. So I don't know if it was like a male... I know it was obviously it's a male-dominated sort of area for... You, I don't know, I'm boxing on... It's just it's the first time it's ever been done, but I would have thought I'd have... Is that, is that saying that all the YouTubers... Girl YouTubers are doing beauty products and... I just think as well, though, yeah. that when they're inviting people, they invite the people they know and they get on with. Yeah. Also, to be fair, famous YouTubers, just for anybody who actually knows a lot about blogging and vlogging, famous YouTubers are often a bit of a tosspot. They are. Sorry. No, that's... Yeah, Not people it. that I've met, obviously. I've met some great people. I'm talking about some of the younger YouTubers who have got a large fan base, you meet them and you just think, you're a bit of a dick. Yeah. And everybody who I meet in the celebrity world, I keep very much myself to myself and I'm certainly not a celebrity. If I am a celebrity, I'm on the Z list and probably just clinging on by a thread. <laughs> but the people that I have worked with, so I, in spite of that terribly low standing in the celebrity world, although I did make the showbiz section of The Sun the other day with who is Emma Kenny or Kenny Keep Up. But it took a long time to think of that. It would have been relevant if I was a footballer, though. You know, if it was a footballer, Kenny Keep Up. Or playing Keep You Ups. Exactly. Kenny Samson. I think it's Can You Keep Up with me. Yes, pretty easily. <laughs> Not a lot going on. But anyway, 
when I've gone to some big places to do big gigs, you know, to like host events, I do quite a lot of hosting, they get me in to kind of ask the questions from celebrities or to do a bit of research around psychological stuff associated with mm. brands. And I've been to a few, and you came to one with oh, yeah, me. Yeah. And the YouTuber, she was so annoying. Mm. And I'm not gonna say who it is, because I don't want beef and end up in a white collar boxing match with her, because I would totally destroy her, number one. But secondly, I'm far too old for that now. But genuinely, she wouldn't let people take pictures. She was the only one, you know, we had a real Hollywood legend female who was adorable. You know, we had an amazing presenter and he was just fantastic. And he just spent the whole night just going, what, why, why? And so to me, YouTube has done two things. It's offered an amazing democratic platform for a while. Now it's not so much because it's all about who's got the richest mum and dad and who's going to get the marketing out there and all of that. Mm. But the other thing it's done is created this narcissism beyond reason. And if you think about it, even us doing this, I said to you, one of the big problems for me doing a podcast is that I think it's a bit narcissistic. It's like, listen to me. And until we can kind of get guests that maybe people want to listen to, obviously if I carry, we're going to have other people, we're going to have Jem Lucy and people like that who have kind of come across in my career and we might be very different, but mm. I kind if of I want to connect it, it with them. It would be nice to try and get a, mm. a, younger, a younger YouTuber on. Yeah. I mean, if Joe was listening. Oh yeah, I'm sure Joe's <laughs> well, going to come along and do you don't that. No, do you? I mean, these guys, you know, want to talk about not just, you know, things that are just going on every day. They'd like to come and talk about mental health. They'll talk about, you know, what's mm. going on in their lives, where they want to go, challenges, you know. One of the biggest changes in the job field is that YouTuber and blogger has now become what's known as a, a proper career. So it's mm. registered as a career. And I wonder how that's going to be in 25 years time because I think cultivating an audience is really important. I think material's very important, but most of them important, I think, above all of that, is that you have a responsibility to think about who you're impacting on and to have conversations with meaning, even daft conversations to some degree with yeah. some meaning. But I do fear that there is a vacuous nature as well to it. Now, I listen to some YouTubers because of the kids, and they are incredible. They're so eloquent, they're mm -hmm. so engaging, they're so real. But then I do listen to others and I do feel like it's all about them. And then when you see some of the marketing tactics off the back of it, it disgusts me. You know, when you're trying to extort money from children, for example, you're trying to make women feel like they need all these things to just be average, let alone better than average. And that Kardashian culture that's followed, all of that really can, really kind of repulses me, if I'm honest. So this is why I like the sort of comedy um, sort of... Uh, like Joe Weller is funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, the sort of taking the mick out of certain things, and once he gets when you, when you, uh, not just him, there's a few, isn't there? Um, mm. But yeah, Joe Weller's probably one of the funniest I've seen. He's, I mean, he's, he's more of a comedian, isn't he? Yeah, really? you know, I do think that he could have more of a career going forward within the media. Mm. You know, because uh, a, a lot of the guys do music, they have the yeah, brands, you know, they do all that sort of thing, you know. And they're always looking for that next level of sort of you know business really you know mm. i think someone like joe well, could and there's probably a few others out there that could go on into the media and tra transition mm. you know whereas they wouldn't need to because then you know a lot of tv stuff's going on to the internet anyway so it's you know it could amalgamate into one you can do various things can't you but you just can't imagine how it was 25 years ago compared to now can you i mean i can remember channel four starting i can remember channel five the big yeah. announcement with the spice girls coming on and doing the big Channel 5 announcement. Do you remember? They started oh, I, I don't remember the Channel 5. I remember the Channel 4. Mm. And I remember a couple of days before it showed you a, a big long... It was like a, a, a sort of, you know, advertisement of what's going to be shown on there. I just remember seeing Spider-Man on there and just thinking at that time I'd never seen Spider-Man on TV. You know, it was mm. like, it was a cartoon you'd see. But they had like the American... Like it was filmed in that sort of Fall Guy-esque type of way. The, the, you know, the, the not the professionals because that's... that's um, like chips and stuff like the whirly birds. It was that sort of American flavour to it, you know. And, mm. um, is it the Fall Guy? Yeah, and the A Team. It was six million dollar man. The six million dollar man. That's how it was shot. The six million dollar man. And and you just saw the clip of him flying fly to the end and falling. And you're thinking, God, Spider Man. And Channel Four, it was like having three channels going to four channels. You know, I don't remember the Channel Five. Channel though. Five, the Spice Girls launched it. I can remember my dad saying, "Oh God, it'll never catch on. We've got far too many, far too many channels now." That was. That was his attitude. Five, why would anybody need more than two, you yeah. know? Remember the, um, uh, was it on BBC when the channel had just stopped? <laughs> yeah, of course At 12 o'clock? Yeah. Right, we're going to close down now. The little girl with the, with the board. That was BBC, that was BBC two. Yeah. No, that was during the day as well. Mm. So BBC Bit like two, two hours for kids. It's mad because that's, 
fundamentally how childhood has just shifted, isn't it? Well, think about it now. I mean, we've always talked about the immediacy of things, mm. which is good in one way. It makes you, you so know, impatient. Yeah, that's, yeah. And bad it in makes that you way, so it, impatient. It does, it does. It makes you think like, you know, like photographs there now done instead of like right gotta go take them down the boots yeah <laughs> all the Kodak shop and then i get them back and a lot of stickers on saying it's knackered your light was wrong and you know yeah. red eye you know i can literally remember if you wanted to there you go literally i can remember booking my first ever holiday because obviously we just didn't have holidays abroad bar a couple of occasions when i was a kid so unbeknown to my mum and dad I'd been working a lot of jobs. I was always a hard worker, in work at least, not necessarily at school. So when I was 17, unbeknown to them, I'd saved some cash. I'd saved about 180 quid, which is such a small amount of money, isn't it, these days? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, to some people it's a lot, to some people it's small, but it does seem... For a holiday, it's a very small amount. For a two-week holiday in Tunisia, half board, it was... 180 odd quid or that something. That's crazy, isn't it? I took 70 quid from spending money and it yeah. lasted. Bear in mind, you know, it was a bit of a crap resort, but nonetheless, it was my first overseas holiday. It took four hours to organise that in the flipping agents, you know, in the holiday agents. Yeah. Four hours! It takes me 15 minutes at most to book holidays and flights and everything. And with Hitex? Of course, I remember Teletext, I could never figure it out. My mum always said they were cheap dues, I could never figure it out. Oh man, yeah, you'd go on Teletext holidays, but then you'd start to ring them, but you'd find them, and I think. They'd be like got, £110 sure, pounds for sure nine years. We got our first ever American holiday yeah. from it. Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh, look at this, like, you know, you go on, but Teletext was brilliant. Yeah. Teletext was brilliant. Teletext still exists. Does it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Teletext still exists. Because I used to go and play games, yeah. and then at Christmas time, you'd have like, the Christmas ones. And you'd go and have like the Christmas countdown games and stuff, and you'd have like you could have like your advent calendar on there. I so really worry. I have it. massive questions about your childhood, like literally massive questions. The stuff you remember is just ridiculous. I'm telling you now, teletext at Christmas I, time I, I, had an advent calendar on it. You could go on, you press it, and it'd just be like a couple of bells. <laughs> but I would not have thought that was interesting. Never mind, just saying. My mum and dad I used to explore things on the TV. You know, it's a, it's a a box of moving pictures. I know, you know and that's what I mean? why you do what and you do now. Writing that's what you do now. That's why you've gone into editing and filmmaking and all of that. But my mum and dad were such cheapskates at Christmas. Every year they used to give us the advent calendar with the boxes shut again. Who does that? Because you didn't have chocolate. They were just pictures. You don't remember when we were kids? <laughs> you don't remember when we were kids? <laughs> we were advent calendars had pictures. Yeah, they didn't have use of chocolate. No, it so they used pictures. to close them and we'd get them the next year. All right. So the same ones? Well, they might give my sister Probably the one, I don't know, I don't sister know. one that I would have had, but the kind of, yeah. So it's like, but I get that. I do get it. It's, you know, what's the point of buying a new one when you can just stick it closed again? Although it did have perforations on it. Because it had the perforations. Yeah. Was it like Bad Santa where you closed it? It's just like... <laughs> Some peanuts in and all bits of... There's bum. nothing in there. Oh, yeah, and my friend was from Denmark. She lived about four houses up. And... Their family had this tradition where in Denmark you get a present every single day up until the 24th of December, a little present. I was like really jealous of Colette. Oh I wanted to be gosh. Colette. I didn't know she was in Denmark. I wanted to be Colette and that continues because she became a really good dancer and then now lives in New York. So yeah. <laughs> if only I had been Colette. Let's go and see her. That was the day so friendship had real meaning in those early years. That's another thing. I think we start talking and then I just become aware of how old I am and it, it kind of makes me sad because you just nope. look back on everything and don't get me wrong I always know that there's that level where everybody thinks that their childhood was the best childhood and there were lots of problems in my childhood lots of things that were very painful there were definitely circumstances that shouldn't have happened so there were definite negatives about my childhood and certainly psychologically massive negatives about my childhood and who I was and how I coped but nonetheless I think with age and nostalgia you were able to decipher the meaning from it and also to almost eradicate some of that negativity and just mm. assume the positive state which is really important for me because I look back on my childhood now with absolute nostalgia in a positive sense and even though there were those issues I always knew I was loved, even though there was friction and conflict, and I was always fed, although I might have been hungry sometimes. There was always a real foundation of safety. My home was always my haven. You know, I'd close my door when I got in from school, and I'd just be so relieved to be there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of stood for something really important. Mm -hmm. But my early childhood, when I was at primary school, 
even though whilst I was the early years of primary school were probably quite traumatic in some ways, when I was at primary school, I can remember just loving it. Like, I literally looked forward to going because there were so many kids to play with. And even though, again, I think I was quite observant when I was a child, so I was more an observer than an engager. Um, I didn't really feel like I belonged in friendship groups very easily. I'm still like that now. You know, I find it really difficult to have mm. meaningful relationships with friends because I don't always find it easy to immerse myself in that kind of level. I think I become friends with people by mistake more than with purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's something that I'm even working on now, as you know, because I've got that kind of desire to create more females in my life because boys are always the kind of people that I've hung out with and that's been my friendship group my entire life even now boys are more friends with me than girls if that makes sense it does so my childhood when I look back it was that really special time where everything felt a sense of wonder and I was always living in my daydreams like I would literally imagine everything that would be possible and everything that would feel probable and I never really had any plans but I just imagined life would be just amazing. I just thought it'd be incredible. I didn't mm. see any limitations. It's like limitations are given to you, aren't they? You get to high school and then people start handing you limitations. You can't do this, you can't do that, you're not good at this, you're not good at that. But at primary school there were like two rules to be popular. If you ran fast and I ran really fast yeah. and you know, if you kind of weren't hideous looking so that people could bully you. And I was kind of like, had huge goofy teeth at the time. That was my name, Rabbit. But I just had no yeah, issue was, with I it. I was called Goofy for a long time. I think it affected me for a bit. I just didn't <laughs> bother me. Really didn't bother me at the time. And it still didn't, even when people are, even when people are negative to me now, it, it still doesn't bother me. Like people can be really offensive about the way I look, but I just think whatever, like you can't please everybody all the time. And like you don't, also like, I'm gonna be really ugly, whatever happens, cause you get old and that's the thing about age, isn't it? You know, you have your beauty stolen from you from gravity, no matter what your looks are like. So it doesn't really bother me. And even as a child, I felt that hardwired understanding that I could contain my own happiness or worry or whatever. It was me who was driving it, if that makes sense. But I do look back at my really early years now and you know I can only ever see it in summer. I can only ever see it in summer and like I can only ever remember the haze of summer. You know the haze, like, it's hard to describe. I can remember like when they used to let you go on the field because we had like yeah. a big field. Yeah, yeah. And it would be maybe coming up to the summer holidays. was just And they'd always wonderful. do that kind of ritualistic rounders game with the teachers. You know, you'd play the teachers and it was exciting because suddenly the teachers went from being teachers to human people who were funny. And obviously you look back now and they're just like us now, you know, they were just doing the job yeah. and they were full of pe people's personalities. And it would just be just like whole transition from what was school to what was fun. And then you'd just kind of be sat under the oak tree. We had a big oak tree and the clovers would be growing. And I can remember the smell and I can remember like people saying you could eat the clovers and it was all like taking the clovers and like trying to eat them, which is ridiculous. But mm. genuinely, the laughter of children's playgrounds still connects me with that. If I go yeah. past the children's playground on a summer day, I feel it, you know? You can hear the light aeroplanes above. Them. Oh, and, yes. You know, there's, there's always those things, isn't there, in the summer way of the light. Yeah. You know what I used to like to do? Some stray dog bounding yeah, across. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's like... <laughs> the good old ages. And like sometimes, like sometimes on a hot summer's day, because there's no wind and stuff, you'd have those moments where everything would go quiet. Yeah. And it'd be like... And Real you could hear a dog bark from like 16 yeah. streets away or someone just doing a lawn like oh, you know, miles away. Like, and then what I used to do, and it wasn't at school, but I do get all that school and that was exactly the same thing. Yeah. On a hot summer's day you'd go and, you know, I, I guess that's what it'll be like for kids now when they go on the field. You know, it's still that same vibe. Because when you're a kid, you don't realise you're a kid. And mm. You know what I mean? You don't realise. Well, some people do, but I didn't. I was like, I'm a kid, but I don't realise I'm a kid. I'm just in this... Brilliant. Oh, I was everything. I was, you know, Superman, Batman, Spider. I was Star Wars. I was, you know, it was everything. But I'd go, there's this big field called the um, the tip um, at the back of our house. So we'd have the common and go to the tip yeah. in, Est in Eston and Middlesbrough, northeast UK. And I'd go and lie in the middle of it and just look up. So your peripheral vision was nothing. You know, there's no houses, there's nothing. And it was boiling hot because in the eighties, for some reason, it was like being abroad. I feel like you know, I don't know what, what it is, but I think people who live in the eighties, who were born in the seventies like and grew up in the seventies and eighties, the weather always seemed better. You'd go out and do days out, and it was roasting. It was like oh, yeah. forty degrees, and I'd, you'd see trails of a light aeroplane, or you know, you'd, you'd hear a light aeroplane. You'd just look up, 
and you could literally be in another on another planet because there's nothing around you and you're sat and this laid down in this huge field by yourself and just looking up mm. and you could see hardly any clouds because it was those days where there was no clouds it was just blue sky and a few birds and that was mm. it and it was just that you'd be lost in it you know and that's probably one of my big memories of clouds I, mean, I, have, I have a lot of I memories. Mean, I've got vivid vivid memories of, of many things when I was a kid um, and I've been talking to you I think a lot of, I'm very nostalgic at the moment I think it's that midlife crisis that people talk about I haven't got to go to Harley Davidson or built a man cave yet or I've already <laughs> got a man cave but yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia, a lot of thinking back of of, of, of things that when you're a kid, you know, and it's just, there's some so many smells and tastes. I think that's why I like the summer. I yeah. think the winter, Christmas and stuff, that's, but the summer really does resonate with me with, with um, memory and, and nostalgia and smells, mm. like you said, mm. especially cut grass and, you know. I just remember the whole thing of everything being possible and I've talked before about that we get to this point in our lives and it is about loss. You just yeah. can't help but acknowledge that everything's going to be about loss. And I think that coming to terms with just accepting that there is this sadness and it's kind of deep and it's always there and that it's okay and that everybody experiences it kind of takes the edge of it. Because like we said not so long ago in the podcast, nature is the serial killer and there's nothing we can do about it. You know, the bitch yeah. is going to come and get us, whatever happens. And you just got to kind of sit there and feel blessed for what you've got. Because we are really, really lucky. And like, even now, I don't have aspirations to ever be anything more than what I have, if that makes sense. And that isn't because I think my life's perfect in any way, shape or form. But the only thing that could, I guess, make my life easier is if suddenly I came into loads of money mm. because money isn't ever going to make you happy of course it isn't but money gives you the option to not worry about certain things so my constant concern in life although it's not huge and I definitely don't let it affect me but if I was going to draw one thing in the world that I know I have to think about and I know I have to take care of it's earning money because obviously I've got two lads we've got to see whether they want to go to university don't want them yeah. coming out with 100 grand's worth of debt so we're going to have to take that on and you sit there and think to yourself that means I'm going to be working until like I'm 80 you know we don't have pensions we don't have any why we're doing YouTube. <laughs> well, no, we were not doing it for that reason no, at all. I'm it's not. not about making money, and it's making it really clear that it's not about but doing I, that. But I think I do. I think do think you're right. It is. It is um, when people say, obviously, money can't make you happy because people who have a lot of money, you know, quite more often are not happy. You know, it's all about the inside of you and more you money, know. more problems. Yes, you know, but I do get, I do understand how it works. I feel the same as well. Mm. You know that to have more money in a, in a sense. For somebody who hasn't had the money, you know, mm. it's it can affect people in different ways. But with us, it'd be you know, you know, you've got security for your children. Mm. You know, you've got your security for your children's education if they go down that route. Well, just to go and have fun. Yeah. I mean, like when I was a kid, you got a grant. You know, we didn't earn enough money in our family, so yeah, it was simple as that. My fees were paid for, and I got a grant. And I, I lived on that grant. Two thousand one hundred pounds I got. And I lived on that grant. I had a mortgage on that grant because that was back in the day when your parents could guarantee mortgages. My mortgage was 140 quid a month and I used to rent my house out with people in it. So therefore, I didn't even have to pay anything. That was in the days where you could actually start. Like, I look at our kids now and I think to myself, realistically, how are they going to ever get their own home? And it's no big deal. When it comes down to it, it's first world problems, isn't it? At the end of the day, let's face it, the fact that they're going to be fed and housed and they'll always be welcome in our own home, they are luckier than most kids in the world. So we oh, know yeah. that. But you don't have... You don't... You know, I think... It's like my parents always wanted more for me and my sister and brother. That was what they wanted. They wanted us to have more than them. Mm. And it's never happened because my mum and dad are baby boomers. The baby boom generation are the individuals who got good pensions, they had the best of the NHS, because fucking Maggie Thatcher hadn't had Chelsea really screw it over at yeah. that point. Don't get me wrong, when my mum was a kid and my dad was a kid, you didn't have the NHS. You know, you paid your doctor. Doctor came round every week or his receptionist came round every week and collected the money. Yeah. So there was no NHS, they lived before and they've lived with. And they were in that golden era and they are in a good situation for their state pension-wise. They get the state pension, they get my dad's pension, and they didn't have high earnings. My mum would stay at home mum until she started working in a shop. My dad had the same job for 44 years. At the end of the day, they don't have an example of wealth, but in their retirement, I would say they're probably wealthier than they've ever been, yeah. which is so ironic. Whereas for us, right now, 
we're getting shipped over to Dignitas on the first group of individuals that they euthanise at 80 because we're going to be costing yeah. too much money. You know what I mean? That is a reality for us. It's going to be a party boat. Yeah, I'm going to take myself over there, whatever everyone's. I was having yeah, this conversation. It's going to be a party yeah. boat, you know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. favourite music, you know. Last blowout before oh, death. Oh, massive blowout. If yeah. you survive the boat trip. If you survive the boat trip. There's two levels of Dignitas in, that, in my head. Can you, you kill know? yourself? Can, yeah. The two-day, the two-day boat trip. Hedonism. Those who survive. The two-day boat trip with anything and everything that's on there ever. Uh, you know, and like, there's just, you know, you just get put to sea. <laughs> if you put your clogs, just like, there's another one hasn't made it. He, he enjoyed himself, she enjoyed himself. They really enjoyed themselves. No, went out with a bang. No, oh, it's made, it's send them off into the space, fireworks. Boom. Yeah, you're just floating in waters where everything's legal. Yeah. Yeah, and you just, you know, you're 18, 19, whatever it is. I mean, know. I'd book that trip just in case I ever felt like I was going to go under, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, Dignitas trip. Yeah, you know, well, you're perfectly well. I don't care, I'm bored. Yeah, it's the Dignitas boat. <laughs> I've booked it, I'm, I'm going to do it. Mean, I mean, I don't, will, will that ever become, you know, in the future, I think it will become a thing. I think it will become in, in all of the world. I can't see it not being. Oh, I hope it becomes. I hope it goes. You know, it's been a long time, but I think, you know, once, well, we get, once the politicians become real politicians and start leading the country in a way the country should be led. Well, you can go to Denmark, you, know, you can go to like places. I mean, Denmark have got it for euthanasia is legal if you want to kill yourself. Yeah. Can you believe that? I mean, that's incredible. It's called a, a sickness of life. And as long as two doctors or three doctors agree, you can get yourself put down. Yeah. And to some degree, I think that that's really difficult for people to get their heads around. You know, the idea that somebody can say, well, I'm this depressed, I want to kill myself. Yeah. But at the same time, having worked with people who are suicidal, and I'm not talking about the 95% of people who feel suicidal, maybe have a go at it, but really didn't intend to kill themselves, they wanted help. There's like the massive amount of people who try to kill themselves. They are desperately seeking some kind of solution and they're hoping that somebody's gonna listen and be with them, right? So, although they deserve exactly the same attention, the truth is that they're on a different journey than what I would say are the systematic cyclical suiciders, the yeah. individuals who have, from literally day one, felt that they should not be alive. And I kind of put it in the same frame of reference as phantom limb, where people believe that a limb... Doesn't exist on their or, body, yeah. alternatively, where they have pain in a limb that really isn't there, yeah. phantom pain. And it doesn't matter how much therapy you do, it doesn't matter... They want it to be amputated. People yeah. put their legs in nitrogen so that they have to have them amputated. You know, yeah, this is how right. serious it is. And for suiciders of that level, it's the same psychological distress. It's a sense of there is no point in living and it wouldn't matter how much time I gave them and how much help they were offered. Their issue is with being alive. Mm -hmm. Their only way forward is to not be alive. So the idea of allowing people like that a choice to do it peacefully, to do it surrounded with love, maybe with the allowance of their families, it won't make it an easier decision, but I think it would take away the trauma that people in, go through when they're dealing with a traumatic death. Yeah. And like I said, my thing is always first and foremost, we can find a way forward. And in 95, probably even 99% of cases we can. Yeah. But there is a percentage that we can't. One of my cyclical clients who genuinely tried to kill themselves, and she was a young girl, all the time. It wasn't like once or twice. It's constant, constant, constant. You know, she'd be put in secure. She'd be like, she'd try it again. She'd put things, do it in while she was in there. All of these things. And she would say to me that trying to explain her psychological feelings of distress, imagine being in agony all the time. She said it was intolerable agony living breathing was intolerable agony and that was the only way she could describe it and mm. i would ask her to explore emotionally and she didn't feel that there were any triggers she didn't feel that she wasn't loved she didn't feel that her life couldn't have had meaning it's just that she felt completely against living she just felt like her blueprint her code in her brain was to die mm. so it's a very ethical, moral question, really, because it comes down to whether you potentially believe that life is sacred, which is a religious context. So ironically, if people who are atheists don't believe in dignitas, it's a bit crazy, because when you think about it, 
it's only when we think about life has having sacred meaning that mm. we really shouldn't do things like that. But I like to think that if I'm old and infirm, I'm going to be able to do what you said. I'm going to be able to like sit my boys down. Hopefully they'll be older men. Be able to say thanks for the journey, have a party, celebrate with everybody that we love, and yeah. then you and me just head over on that shit. We'll definitely survive it. It's just our metabolisms <laughs> and our abilities to be strong as horses in those kind of circumstances. And then we'll just hold our hands and down the tablets. Massive yeah. barbiturates, dead, sorted, just like when I put my cat down. Yeah. Isn't that just the best death? It's better than uh, going out in a, in a, in a you know, disease type of way. I'm know, never going in a home. Pain and, you know, it's... No, I'm going to Dignitas, I'm never going in a home. Yeah. I just find it really, really weird that people would do that. And also, like, what a nice journey, you know, to just feel like you're completely in control of your end. I just think that would be such a an empowering feeling mm. to, like, just be sat there and think, this is it, you know, yeah. thanks for the ride. Because I kind of think about life like that all the time, just that... It's just some kind of weird yeah. fairground so, you know, we, we, Obviously, over the podcasts that we talk about, we will get in, we'll be getting into that sort of stuff, won't we? You know, eventually, mm. you know, life and our theories on... We're going to get Jamie to come down and do a podcast regarding Christianity because he's a devout Christian reverend yeah. and he's got some pretty interesting ideas. In fact, I knew me and Jamie would get on the day that we met each other because we met each other because I lost somebody that was really, really close to me about... 11, 12 years ago now, and I didn't want any therapy, I didn't want to talk about losing her, I just wanted to sit and cry, and he was the chaplain at our place where I ran the mental health service, and I said to him one day when he was passing, I'd never spoken to him before, I just said, I know you're a reverend and I know that you're a chaplain here, I just want to sit down and cry, would you be with me whilst I did that, and he said yeah, so I just sat and cried, and then from that point onwards we just became intensely good friends and best friends for a long time and he said to me early on because you're always a bit like that with goddy people aren't you you know you're always a little bit on the fence yeah. are they going to try and drag me to a bible class are they going to get the guitar out yeah it was a bit like that i was thinking how far is he down this path you know because he mm. wasn't just a christian he was like a reverend christian they're serious aren't they they are serious in the game oh, yeah. but then they're he told like, they're me, like they're trained yeah they are properly trained trained, trained by, in god trained by jesus mm. yeah basically god's messenger on this earth and he was born on the 25th of december which is even bizarre yeah i mean what does that say yeah. anyway and he's called jamie almost jesus <laughs> yeah, almost jesus <laughs> can't call him jesus his mum and dad can't really call him jesus because everybody at school will think he's jesus so because he's born on christmas day so let's just call him jamie jamie yeah so anyway he will be coming on this but he he said to me uh, the thing about jesus this is why i knew he'd be cool is because he used to he knew he'd like to like him because he used to get drunk with prostitutes and dance and i thought yes and i said to him you would turn more people to god with that statement than you know really yeah. that if we can all get drunk and hang out with prostitutes and dance you know i'm there they're <laughs> on the dignitas ship with us yeah. all those old prostitutes are there with us it's as simple as that yeah. <laughs> those are all the prostitutes Funny. yeah yeah. It's funny actually because I've been seeing loads of stuff about sex work because obviously I'm obsessed with sex and obsessed with the whole area of sex and I'm going to be doing quite a few bits and bobs around sex in the next few months, you know, doing some nice panels with uh, Emma Sale from Killing Kittens. I'm a big yeah. fan of Killing Kittens philosophy. Just think it's really empowering for women to do something that they want to discover around their own bodies in a safe space, whatever that is. You know, I'm always the same. Whatever turns you on as long as it's consenting and as long as it's not harmful. Adult play. Adult play. And prostitutes are an intention, it's an interesting area, it's an interesting debate really. Maybe we'll get a sex worker on, that'd be quite interesting if we can get a sex worker who'd be willing to come on the podcast. In fact, if you're listening to this mm -hmm. and you are a sex worker, and I use that term very specifically, please would you get in touch with us because we would love to have you on because I'd really like to find out more. Because I've been talking to people from my past who were sex workers in Australia where I used to live. Yeah. It's very liberal. So basically brothels are completely legal, they have rules on them, but brothels are legal, women are looked after, and there are lots of independent sex workers as well. And sex worker is very different than prostitute. They consider themselves to be very, very different than prostitutes. So sex workers seem to see that they're in control, like they have massive parades and stuff around it yeah. in Australia, it's a really big deal. And the difference that I see between what I consider sex worker and prostitute is a sex worker feels that this is a career, a prostitute is often, I believe, somebody who does it through need. Yeah. 
Mm. So either they're being trafficked, let's face it, lots of people, Eastern European in the yeah. UK, have got a lot of problems. I More hate that the, people... The, the, the sort of, you know, modern day pimp. Yeah, I hate that people yeah. just make out that like profiling criminals is wrong. It's like, you know, let's be honest, Eastern European men are far more likely to be doing it, like it or otherwise. You might not like to hear that, that's a fact. It's yeah. a statistical fact. They do not value women in that way, those individuals. That does not mean that Eastern European men are all going out oh, doing hence it. Hence why, you know, they use that sort of uh, area of, of the world to, to take and the film take. Like, it's horrendous. It's, yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah. And women are treated like absolute... It's disgusting. So you've got that kind of... And then you've got the prostitute who's an addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. No, we know that. We see that on the streets all the time. So you're just doing it to yeah. get a hit. But sex workers are career women yeah. and career men. And it blows my mind because even though I, as a human being, struggle to imagine a transaction where I am paid to have sex with a man or a woman, it's something that I just don't feel I could do very well. Mm-hmm. I'd find it difficult because I like a level of attraction to the people that I have sex with. I always have felt physically I need to yeah, be yeah, attracted yeah. to them. If you don't feel that and you genuinely see sex as something that you really enjoy, that's what the sex workers tend to say. Look, I loved sex. I always knew I'd connect with sex. This was a career I chose. And they actually give amazing opportunities to the Mm. people. And one of our followers actually got in touch with us and sent me a really interesting documentary about a sex worker in Australia. And she specifically works on the whole with disabled people. So people in wheelchairs, and she's got this whole system developed. And there's an agency run by a disabled woman. She's got cerebral palsy in Australia, and she organises it. She organises the deal with the transaction between the sex worker and the disabled person. And it was just charming. It was a charming, charming documentary. And I use that word charming specifically because there was nothing seedy about it. Mm. There was nothing disempowering about it. There was nothing misogynistic about it. Actually, I watched it and I just thought, what a bloody good service. You know, all these disabled people in the UK who must struggle. Online dating is so hard anyway. It's so hard anyway, right? Add to that, you know, you might have confidence issues because of your disability. Add to that paralysis so that you don't know how you're going to perform. Add to that all of the confidence issues per se. You're going to struggle, aren't you, to just kind of get yourself involved. And I know there are specialist sites, blah, 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 blah. But the idea that a disabled person wants another disabled person is a little bit disrespectful, I think. You know, actually, it's a bit like able-bodied people sometimes have preferences for disabled-bodied people, right? There's an Mm. attraction there, just like some people like tall people and short people. But the idea that if you're a disabled person that you want to hook up with just another disabled person no disrespect to anybody there, is ridiculous. It's like saying, well, you always like redheads and that's the only one yeah, you'll go I with. So you need to be able to acknowledge that for some disabled people, actually an able-bodied partner is what they're looking for. But going on Tinder, that's going to feel scary, isn't it? Yeah. And again, I know there are specialist sites, but once again, the disabled person may not want somebody who's seeking out a disabled partner, yeah. if that makes sense. It they want something sense. more organic. Making sense of it, it does make sense. But do you know what I mean? And it's that. It's kind of like, wow. And then all of a sudden I thought, and one of the biggest problems I reckon for anybody who has struggled to have relationships because of confidence is that sex is loaded. It's just loaded. So let's take a guy who might have limited mobility and he wants to go out with a woman, whoever she is. But sexually, he's like concerned about his performance. He's anxious. He's worried about the performance anxiety. Wouldn't it be amazing to know that we're specialist sex workers who you could kind of ask questions of and you could get some tactical advice on how to use things like fellatio appropriately? You know, what do they like? How do they want their cock sucked? You know, those kind of things. I actually kind of walked away from listening to that documentary. I was like, wow, we are so behind on that because I do define it as a very separate thing, proper sex work. and providing a very, very important service to prostitution, which is often submissive and degrading, and also around misogyny. Just throwing that in there. I know it's come to the end of our podcast, but it's one of those things. It's a great discussion, and I think think we can lead on to that in some of the podcasts, and I think if we get guests on, we can can explore that a bit more, because that's interesting. I'm sort of really interested in... Mm, it blows I didn't, my mind. I, I, I knew about Australia, but I didn't know, you know, that, that, that documentary sounds really interesting. It's sort of, you know, 
Yeah. Well, my, my kind of understand. I mean, I've always been really liberal sexually. I'm really liberal per se around sex. And as I said, I consider myself pansexual, so I don't even define myself as a straight woman. But certainly living above a strip bar when I was in Australia was really, really helpful because that was probably, I was 23, probably my first experience of meeting strippers. Now, my understanding of strippers when I was growing up was all seedy, mm. needy, bit weird. You know, all these kind of stereotypes that you pick up from being a kid, dirty, that kind of language in my head. And then, of course, meeting these like amazing women, gorgeous, different sizes, really self-confident, really aware of their own bodies, knowing that they can use that body in a way to get what they needed. Now, I don't like stripping. So I'm the first person to say it. I don't like the transaction. I don't think it's powering for the woman, but whatever, I stand to be corrected in that. And if again, you're a stripper and you fancy coming on the podcast, get in touch with us, because we'd love yeah. to ask you some questions about it. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But certainly meeting them and seeing how actually these were just people who were traveling or they might have other jobs, they might be a single mum, and suddenly it changed your mind. It's not seedy, it's just a service, whatever that service is. But also we're living in King's Cross in Australia. You can't do this now, it's all prohibited. But back in yeah. the day when I was there, like prostitutes would be out and proud and they'd be in the doorways, but these were prostitutes and I'm using the word prostitute because it was not what I was talking about before regarding sex yeah. worker empowered. It was very, very, very low brow. Yeah. It was girls and women who had problems. It was sim yeah. simple as that. Yeah. So there is like a distinguishing like world, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And yeah. there is a distinguishing difference between what I would consider that sex worker and but I just think it's a really amazing area because of the fact that when you actually think about it, we all have sex. Most of us want sex unless you're asexual, but actually sex is one of those areas that still has so many taboos associated with it. And when we have things like illegality over sex workers, that in itself, you know, that's how powerful sex is. We have to make yeah. it illegal, you know? And again, that conversation and narrative, when you have problems getting sex, but actually sex is something you desire, that's a question that I think our society needs to think about because the more we professionalise it, the more we permission base it and the more permission base we give it, the more acceptance and availability and the less taboo and in some way more regulation. So like, I have two big things in my life that we'll definitely start to talk about in the coming up podcast. Deregulate every single Drug, drug as far yep. as decriminalize every single one of them. Portugal? Absolutely decriminalize. I would go further than Portugal. I would just make it legal, full stop. I wouldn't make it like it's decriminalized, but it's still not accepted. Yeah. I would just legalize just everything legalize and it. I would yeah. regulate the shit out of it and I would tax the yeah. shit out of it and I would normalize it to the point where nobody mm. thinks it's a big deal. The crime. Drugs, drug related crime would just disappear. Get rid of gangs, you well, get rid of money laundering. Exactly, it's gone. It's gone. And See, then, what would be the point in going to a street dealer when you can, uh, and pay whatever, a little bit cheaper, when you can actually go to a regulated place to exactly. get whatever you're into, exactly. or whatever you want to do, you know, safely, safely regulated, taxed, safely. And graded to a point where you're not, you know... Your kid's not going to die. Yeah. Exactly. And so I would do that, and I'm 100% behind that. And the second thing I would completely decriminalise is sex work, full stop. Yeah. I would make it regulated. I'd make it really taxable. I know that there are certain elements where that happens now. Mm. You know, there are brothels and things like that, where but as long as it's not a madam it's running so it... Just makes so much sense. Gets rid of all the, all the Eastern European yeah. sex traffickers. They're gone. And you know what? There has to be, and I don't understand it. I don't understand exactly why. But there has to be a really sinister link to the government. There has to be that this isn't happening. Mm. There has to be. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the alcohol companies they're embedded with. Maybe it's the tobacco companies that they're embedded with. Because let's yeah. be honest, right? Because well, the money that they're taxing can then go towards people who, if they are right. Addicted, but then that's what they do. Put yeah. it into education, education and rehabilitation, rehabilitation programs, things and, and, to show people that you don't need to, you know, yeah. Employment, you know, do NHS. that. <laughs> Throw it into the NHS as well. Because actually, you're a lot less likely to have a bad time physically on MDMA than you are if you're drinking alcohol. Oh, you know, this is, you know, we, can, we, we all cover this because we've got to wrap this up soon, but the, the, the smoking and the alcohol, the taxation on something which is so much more detrimental to your health than most drugs that are out there, obviously, give or take. Some, you know, people are recreational drugs per se, that, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah. People are dying, not just from drinking, people are dying from alcohol-related violence I know. Every single domestic week, violence. Domestic violence that comes with the alcohol related. Yeah. 
you know, and it's just, and then smoking, just, you know, let's ban smoking in pubs, that'll, that'll sort of, you know. Let's put it behind the counters so that people have to ask for it. Like, that doesn't challenge, don't get me wrong, I think it's really important that we've kind of diminished smoking, and actually, oh, that is ironically one of the drugs yeah. that I would hope to see eradicated, because yeah. I think you could do that with the right kind of interventions yeah. and the right kind of options, but right now, they're the two big things that I think are a real blight on our society yeah. and that we could genuinely change. But anyway, we digress. We started off talking about my mum being an unsympathetic cow when it came down to having sickness bugs. We've discussed Pete's weird affiliation with teletext. And YouTubers, we've, we've gone on about the boxing on YouTube. And we've ended on sex. Sex plays a great deal in these podcasts because it probably is one of my main areas of interest. After all, it's the only thing that really matters when we think about creation. The only reason that I'm here doing this podcast is because my parents copulated. So, join us next week for Making Sense of It. I don't even know whether we are making sense of it. Sometimes I think that the thing is that when we try to make sense of it, we make no sense of it whatsoever, but it did seem like a good title at the time. We can't change it now. Anyway, tune in next week. And don't forget, you can subscribe on our YouTube channel. The word su subscribe, not... Um, so subscribe and follow us on Twitter. I'm e Ken no, Emma Kenny TV. Emma Kenny TV. And you're... I'm Dustin Media. Or Mr Pedros. Or Mr Pedros, because he was a DJ for a long time, house music producer. If anybody wants to catch any of his tunes, you can look upon Mr Pedros on iTunes. And there's absolutely... Tons of stuff. Very good release with Rush Gallop for anybody who's down with the kids, which I'm not. Anyway, <laughs> see you next week.